the sisterhood of the bottomless mimosa. Hi everyone, it's CJ. Hi, it's Melissa. And this is the sisterhood of... The Bottomless Mimosa. Welcome. Welcome everyone to episode 10. Woo! Woo! I can't believe we made it. Um, We made it 10 fucking episodes. Hell yeah, girl. And we wanted to do a little giveaway to show our appreciation for those of y'all who have supported us thus far. So before we get into our drunken bullshit, I wanted to give you the deets on that giveaway. So there's a book that we've mentioned at least twice in this podcast called Bad Girls Throughout History by Anne Chen. And it's a book that uh, Melissa actually got me for Christmas this past year. And we were laughing earlier about how she accidentally sent it to my neighbor's house instead of my house. But all was well. I went into this old ass dude's house and got my book and everything was fine. And it's just this really cute book. And Shen is an illustrator. So it's all these different illustrations and short little essays about all of these badass women throughout history. So if you would like to receive that book from The Sisterhood, there are one of two ways you can enter the giveaway. So if you have not yet left us a review on iTunes, you can leave us a review, screenshot the review, and then you can either send it to us on Instagram or you can email it to us at mimosasisterhood at gmail.com. Now this is only if you haven't already done a review for us. If you have, hang on, we have a separate way for you to enter. Uh, Also, they would need to screenshot it before they submit. Yep. Because I believe after they submit, it will just like go away. Yeah. So iTunes can take a really long time to approve reviews, sometimes several weeks. So right before you hit submit, just screenshot it because we might not be able to verify it for a couple weeks and then and then obviously submit it or we'll cry. Uh, and if you've already submitted a review for us, what you can do is follow us on Instagram if you're not already, and then you can mention us in your Instagram stories. You can do a post if you want to, but I think most people would prefer to do an an Instagram story. You just tag the Mimosa Sisterhood page. You can literally just screenshot our logo and just tell people to check out our podcast because we're so fucking cool. And if you do that, then you will automatically be entered. So there are two different ways to enter. Uh, We will have this going for 10 days because it's our 10th episode. So the last day you have to enter the contest either way is September 16th. And then we will announce the winners in our episode on September 20th. Cool. Did I miss anything? I think that's everything. No, I think you nailed it. Cool. So yeah, thanks guys. We're so happy for those of you who support us. And as we keep saying, we're grassroots, poor baby back bitch podcast. So it's definitely a word of mouth thing. All the supporters appreciate it. If you like what you hear, give us a little bit of love and then we'll send you potentially a book if you win. And also this book isn't like, you know, a novel or anything. It's actually more of like a coffee table type book where... 
It has really, really beautiful illustrations, um, short little biographies on each woman that's being featured. They're really cute. They're sassy. They're uplifting. And there are tons of women featured in this book, like people you have definitely never heard of, um, some people that you have. It's just like, it's like the ultimate like feminist dictionary and it's Hell fucking yeah. awesome so it is something you want <laughs> and you want this we've covered some women who are in it i know grace o'malley the pirate queen was in there there's probably been others we've covered uh julia child was in it was she really she was i just saw her in there the other day because the woman i'm covering tonight also is in the book oh my god so is mine oh my god <laughs> I don't think we did. I gave you a warning last week as to who mine was. I don't remember. Oh, fuck. Hopefully it's not the same person. Oh, Jesus Christ. <laughs> well, that would be really funny if this episode 10 turned out to be the episode we chose the same person. A fucking disaster. Oh. Uh, now we're going to be stressed out for the next 10 minutes until, I know. until I know. we announce. It's fine. Okay, what else? So, yeah, guys, hopefully... Um, some of y'all will spread the word a little bit for us and someone out there is going to win this book and we're really excited. Cool. What else? Um, oh yeah, we will be taking a break next week because Melissa, do you want to say what you got going on? Because my bitch ass is turning 29 and I am heading up to the yay area to go fuck shit up. (laughs) So yeah, I'm going to be gone all next weekend in San Francisco and we normally record over the weekend and my ass is going to be out and about drinking hand, booty twerking, and I don't have time for recording. She's going to wall twerk. She's famous for it. (laughs) Upside down wall twerking too. She's got a reputation. Oh my God. Can I tell you a story? What? Did I ever tell you about the guy I dated who wall twerked on my request? No. So I I used to date this guy. I used to just call him Super D, fill in the blanks as you will. And (laughs) there was one night, sometimes when we would get drunk together and we'd be at my apartment, he'd feel the need to, I don't know, like be masculine and start working out and show me that he was cool. And one day I was like, dude, if you were really fucking cool, you would do a headstand or a handstand and wall twerk on my wall. And he literally did. I totally (laughs) forgot about it. The next morning, Jimmy, because Jimmy and I lived together then, my roommate and I came out in the living room and at about like five, five and a half feet up the wall, there were these two big like dirt marks on our wall. And he was like, (laughs) what the fuck is that? And I was like, oh, I don't know. And for like a whole weekend, I couldn't remember what it was. I was like, oh, like those were from his shoes when he was wall twerking against our wall. (laughs) Yup. And that yes. dude was like 40. So 40 year olds who are listening, like you still got it. Twerk they on that still wall. Got it. Yeah. Twerk on I that wall it. and you'll get bitches. I have a huge rep- reputation of two things from my San Francisco shenanigan days. Number one, fried egg. Are you aware of the fried egg? <laughs> you told me. Tell the audience, please. So I have a reputation along with my very dear friend, Emily, um, to where we would fry egg each other in public places, which basically refers to both of us um, pressing our naked breast up against glass so that the person on the other side viewed it as a actual fried egg. <laughs> 
so that's my number one reputation number one and reputation number two is wall twerking on every surface known to man and in my old throwback bar pittsburgh's pub i like wall twerked on 20 different surfaces in one night including on top of the bar with my feet in the air against the tv that was attached to the ceiling Well, and you're, you were so well known for it. Someone named a cocktail after it. It, it. It's true. I had a drink named after me called Mel's Twerk at the Barrel House Tavern in Sausalito, California. <laughs> what was in it? Do you remember? Uh, yeah, I think it was. So it was where uh, it was basically one of those bougie, fresh, uh, like hipster sodas where you would like add all these different flavored syrups into soda water to like make your own soda and then on top of it you could spike it with like whatever liquor you wanted but I believe this was during Christmas time so they had it along with like our holiday season and I think Mel's twerk consisted of vanilla cinnamon and like fig that sounds fucking delicious yeah and you'd like pop in a like a shot of vodka or whatever you felt like (laughs) drinking with it Oh, God bless. Yeah, and the best part was that I got to, like, actually serve my own cocktail. So people would be like, what's the Mel's twerk? And I'd be like, literally, or, like, like, do you need a performance, or do you just want the drink? <laughs> would you ever, that would be, like, a like a add-on for 20 I'd, additional dollars. <laughs> they'd I'd probably get fired. <sighs> so, yeah, oh. I'm, I'm basically, long story short, I'm headed back to San Francisco for my 29th birthday to partake in a three-day weekend of fried eggs and wall twerking. So, hopefully, video and documentation to come. Yeah, you guys, if you're in the Bay Area, look out. <laughs> fried eggs and twerks coming to a town near you. <laughs> oh, love it. Fun. Fun. I don't really have anything cool to say. There's something I'm going to bring up because of the woman I'm covering, but I'll get to that towards the end of my coverage. Uh, but something that happened this weekend that just kind of blew my mind. I was I met up with my friend Emily. We were getting some wine. And uh, as I mentioned in the last episode, my friend Jimmy was in town. And I talked about the Swamp Tour in the last episode. And so her and I were just catching up. We hadn't seen each other in a few weeks. And I was like, oh, yeah, like I went on the Swamp Tour. And she was like, oh, did you see any any pigs? Because there are swamp pigs out here. And I was like, <laughs> no, we didn't see any pigs, but I saw a swamp goat. And she was like, oh, yeah, I know. I was like, how do you know? She's like, because you said it on the podcast. <laughs> no way. One of those moments where I was like, oh, shit, you like listen to our podcast. She was like, yeah, <laughs> like, I listen to your podcast regularly. I really like it. So, hey, Emily, big ups to you, ho. Thanks for listening, you slut. Hey, Emily. Um, It's funny because also my friend Allie texted me and she was like, dude, I literally just started talking to you through, like, (laughs) my earphones because, like, you were speaking through my earphones and I was listening to the podcast and I was, like, responding to you as if you'd hear me and you didn't because you are on a recording wait as in she literally thought she was on the phone with you no but like (laughs) it's like so natural for her like hearing a friend's voice you know like (laughs) it's almost like you like start to like forget that we're not live on the phone together (laughs) and so she was like responding back to me and then was like oh wait shit we aren't actually speaking (laughs) oh that's so good yeah pretty good oh great (sighs) <sighs> okay, wine review? 
wine review. You can go first. Okay. So I actually am super excited about my wine because it's good. I got it, of course, from the paycheck. I don't think I need to explain what that means anymore. It is called Cannonball. It is a 2017 California Sauvignon Blanc. And it's one of those bottles. So, like, I cut off at $14.99. If it goes above $14.99, there's no way I'm going to buy it. And this is usually like right, it's like $16.99, but it was just on sale enough today that I was like, all right, fine, I'll fucking buy this bottle. And uh, it's really good. It's got a young child doing a cannonball into a pool on its label. <laughs> um, and it's, I'm just going to read you the notes. <laughs> I'm going to read you, like somebody, somebody needs a raise for writing this. The cannonball. It is the perfect symbol of freedom. Legs tucked beneath you, soaring through the air. That uninhibited spirit is the soul of Cannonball Wines. This wine delivers bright, crisp acidity and is bursting with flavors of grapefruit, nectarine, and honeysuckle. Like a splash from a cannonball, the Sauvignon Blanc brings a wow finish. It is actually fucking bomb, though. Like, it's really good. I would buy this again. Really? Yeah, it might replace Daisy. Oh, my God. Big ups, Cannonball. You did it. God, they got creative on that label. I know. God bless them. Yeah, so that's what I'm drinking. What else can I tell you? 13.5% alcohol by volume. Great stuff, guys. Nice. Way to go, California. Wait, you said it's a Sauve Blanc? Sauve Blanc from Cal. Nice. Okay, Mm -hmm. cool. All right, I got to check that one out. It's good. It's worth it. Okay, do you want to speak on your situation? Yeah, so I have been crushing beers all day since 11 in the morning. It's currently 6 p.m. at night. I've had so much beer today that I literally just cannot take down another beer. And (laughs) I wasn't actually thinking that this would ever occur, so I didn't prepare with any backup alcohol. So all I have is beer that I cannot drink, so I'm not going to be drinking. But I will tell you about the awesome beer I did drink all day, which, again, is from Golden Road Brewery, which is the same brewery that I was drinking a couple episodes ago when I was drinking that, like, jalapeno cucumber Mm. beer. Mm -hmm. Well, uh, it's another chick beer. And this one's called Mango Cart, and it is so fucking good. Um, but like, again, you have to be like in a warm environment to even be wanting to drink one of these things. Cause it's just like screams summer in the ocean. But if there's anybody out there who's like not a big fan of beer and like, you don't like the flavor, seriously, get your fucking ass over to Ralph's and find golden road and pick up any of their summer beers. And you are going to be blown away. Like you can't even call this a beer. It's basically like drinking like a sparkling mango juice Mm -hmm. but it's beer but like the mango is so strong that it like masks the beer is it sweet or is it just it is sweet no it's sweet but not like artificial sweet it's like legit like you like mango was squeezed into this beer can Mm, that sounds bomb it is so good but as i mentioned the last time i reviewed golden road if you're a man with a dick you're gonna hate it so like go fuck off with your uh golden road i think they probably are local well you we need to partner with them because you were just doing tons of promotion for them i know fuck you golden road yeah give us a cutback motherfuckers (laughs) uh yeah they're uh golden roads actually in los angeles holy shit i have a new fucking goal for this podcast 
What? Some like name brand alcohol has to make a cocktail or a beer or a wine named Mel's Torque. Uh, yes. So whoever is willing to throw their dick on the table first on that one <laughs> wins a free wall twerk from Melissa. <laughs> and a, and a, uh, uh, a fried egg. <laughs> I'll, I'll let you go right on the other side of that glass. You, you know what? Have... I might I might throw fried egg in there too. <laughs> I've never well, done that, but I'm willing. One time I fried egged my friend Jacob at his own house. Like they were outside on the patio and I was like in the glass door behind them and I knocked and they all looked and I just had my tit smashed up against the glass and I screamed fried egg and he looked at me and his eyeballs were gigantic and he said no that's an ostrich egg (laughs) he's like that's no fried chicken egg that's a fried ostrich egg like holy hell how did that even start? My friend Emily, she fried egged me on the end line one time. <laughs> oh God, on Muni? Yes. And I was Get like, your standing, shots first. I was like standing on the sidewalk and she was rolling because I used to live right off the end line on Judah. Right. And so I'd get off at my house and she'd keep going up the street to her house. And as the train passed, I would like turn around and wave at her. And when I turned around and waved, she was fried egging me from the bus. <laughs> I can't. And then it never stopped after that. Great work, Emily. Lots of big ups to the Emilys of the world in this episode. (laughs) Oh, God. So, yeah. um, Back to Golden Road. They have a great beer called Mango Cart, which, like, literally, like I said, every man with a dick that likes IPA will hate it. So just, like, ignore this episode or this review. But if you like fruity shit, if you're not really a big beer drinker, but you want to be introduced to something on, like, the fruitier light end side, go Summer Golden Road all day long. I'm a big fan. I crushed, like, three of those bitches yesterday on a bike ride, and I finished off the rest today. Nice. So that's where I stand on Golden Road. All right. I like it. I like it. Oh, also, one other thing to note. Another reason why I'm not drinking in today's episode after I crush like beer all day long is because, no joke, I apparently blacked out in like the last 30 minutes of last week's episode. I had no memory. Shut up! So much of that episode when I was in the editing stages. Really? I didn't even think you didn't even seem that drunk. Uh, That's the scariest (laughs) part. Like, so, and you know what it was? I think it, like, while I was recording, I wasn't blacked out. Because even after we finished recording, I post-mated some fucking chili cheese fries (laughs) and a Philly steak sandwich, and I crushed that, and then I went to bed. I went to work the next day. I was not hungover or anything, but I think in the process of me going to bed drunk and sleeping, I lost, like, the last 30 minutes of what happened in that episode, And then days later, when I was doing the editing and I was listening to it, I was in tears, dying (laughs) laughing because the shit we were saying and the fact that I had no memory of it and it was, I was dying laughing. And I'm like, yeah, well, that's a first one for the podcast. Melissa blacked out at the end. You were trying to get us UTI sponsorship. Yes. Which we still are open to, guys. Like, we're sober (laughs) and we're ish. 
And uh, there, I think there have been, that is, that will be a fun thing to look back on at like our hundredth episode, which episodes CJ and Melissa were the most wasted in. And I don't even know why. Like I, it wasn't like, I think I didn't even do anything that whole day. So it wasn't like I was like today crushing beers all morning. Like I was just chilling last week and I, I just went hard on that bottle of wine and I killed it. You know and what so, it was? It was because it was shitty bad wine. That and has shitty to be bad why, wine gets right? you shitty bad. We, yeah, we both hated our wine last week. It must right. have just been some garbage shit and it fucking blacked me out. I'm going to be honest. I drank like one glass of that and the rest of the bottle is still in my fridge, which goes to show like how shitty that was if I'm leaving that much wine in my fridge. Yeah. This bottle will be gone by the end of this episode. So hopefully, maybe I'll, uh, to balance things out, I'll try to be blacked out by the end. <laughs> wow, this is a long beginning, but whatever. Who cares? I know. Oh, um, well, fuck, should we find out if we did the same woman? Yeah. <laughs> Let's do die. this. Oh, God. Yes, I know the microphone clipped. I screamed. Okay. <laughs> I chose, okay, so I chose my, this is a woman that pretty much everyone knows. Um, and the reason I chose her is Angela Davis. Is that who you I did? didn't do her. No. Okay, cool. <sighs> Sorry, guys. I had to ruin the lead up because I got scared. Um, <laughs> I'm very specifically choosing Angela Davis. And I try to choose, I try to choose women that not everybody knows. But there is an event that I am participating in in the fall that is very much directly related to some of the work that she has done. And so that's why I chose her. I wanted to talk a little bit about that at the end. So uh, I guess I'll just fucking get into it. So for those of you who don't know somehow who Angela Davis is, she's one of the most famous American political activists. Uh, She was especially famous in the 60s and 70s. She was a political prisoner, well, a prisoner at some point. Um, an academic and an author. She's still kicking to this day. She is, uh, oh, she's black. I'm sorry if you don't know who she is. She's a black woman from the South originally. And I'm going to hop in. So she was born in 1944 in Birmingham, Alabama. And her family lived in a neighborhood that was called Dynamite Hill, specifically because there were so many KKK bombings of middle-class black houses in that neighborhood as an attempt to try to drive the blacks out of town. So that's the environment that she grew up in. She, as I said, she was born in 1944. So the Supreme Court case, Brown versus Board of Education, that ended segregation in American schools wasn't until 1954. So she was born 10 years before desegregation was mandated by the Supreme Court. So as you can imagine, living in Alabama, she grew up in segregated all-black schools that were underfunded, and it was some bullshit. And her mom was actually uh, an organizer for the Southern Negro Youth Congress, which was an organization that sought to build alliances among African Americans in the South. This was an organization that was highly influenced by the Communist Party, and we can assume that the fact that Angela was brought up around a lot of communist thinkers and organizers had a huge bearing on her, um, on her philosophy and her politics. She's very much a socialist and was very much associated with the communist party, especially in the seventies. She actually knew some of the girls. So Birmingham, Alabama was also the place where in 1963, a black church was bombed and four young girls died. 
and she actually knew some of those girls. Um, yeah. So she just grew up in a very, like in the height of the racist South of the United States. When she was in junior year of high school, she was accepted into this really cool program that the Quakers had. So I don't know, like Quakers are, I don't know how to describe what they are. I used to date a Quaker. I used to date so many fucking weird Christians. What the fuck? my god i haven't even heard the term quaker since probably like fourth grade when i had to show up to school in like a bonnet so they like okay any quakers who are listening feel free to fucking correct me but it's almost like christianity light they like sit in a room together and just like meditate and then if they feel like the holy spirit descend upon them then they talk it's it's very interesting wait so how did you date a quaker and when and where Oh my god, he was such a baby back bitch. He was, we dated for, Mike, you fucking met Mike. We dated for 12 seconds in college. We were drunk and fighting the entire time. He was, like, he was not actively going to church that often, but he was raised a Quaker. And his dad was, like, a fine-ass Buddhist surgeon, which, like, uh, I forget your name, but call me sometime if you're listening, because... (laughs) You're way cooler than your son. Okay, sorry. I want to go off on a tangent now just because this is a funny story. We can edit this out if we don't want people to know. But the first time I met his dad, his dad lived in Davis. I think maybe he was teaching there. I'm not sure. And he had a hot tub. And Boo and I were, like, getting down in the hot tub. And his dad walked out, like, while we were doing it. And I literally just dunked my head underwater and was in that hot tub fully submerged for what felt like five minutes. Just like didn't want to get out, like was so embarrassed. We had had such a good dinner together. We were vibing hella good. I'm like, oh my God, I can't. And the next morning, him and his girlfriend were leaving for some three-day Buddhist retreat. And he comes to say bye to us. And he was like, it was so nice to meet you. And he goes, the hot tub is always here. (gasps) Oh my God. Call me sometime. That is kind of weird. It was like, it wasn't though. If you had been there, like... It wasn't. It was just him being like, I'm cool. I'm down. I yeah. get it. You fucked Show. in the hot tub. Big dick oh my energy. God. Call me some time. Anyway, back to Angela Davis. So she ended up enrolling in this program that the Quaker, and there was an organization that I didn't write down, but it was a Quaker organization that took black students from the South and put them, like funded them to go into integrated schools in the North. So she ends up getting accepted into that program and she goes to a school in Greenwich Village in New York City. So she manages to get out of the South in her last couple of years of high school. And she goes to, I'm going to say this wrong, it's Brandeis University in Massachusetts on scholarship. She is one of three black people in her entire freshman class. And while she's there, she meets philosopher Herbert Marcuse or Marcusa. I don't know. I should really Google this shit before I talk. Um, And she kind of becomes his devoted student. So she basically follows him through almost her entire academic career, super down with what he had to say. They met at a rally against the Cuban Missile Crisis. So I assume, but did not actually look up, that he had Communist Party leanings because she was all about that shit. And she actually, this was something cool I didn't know about her. She majored, she had originally majored in French. 
So she's like a fluent French speaker because wow. she was super into the philosophy of Jean-Paul Sartre. So she, um, I know I said that wrong, but fuck off. I'm not French. And she actually studied abroad in France um, as part of her degree program. But then she decided what she really wanted to do was get a degree in philosophy. She ends up going to Frankfurt in Germany to go follow her boo Marcuse or her like, he's not her boo, but her mentor. And then he ends up taking a job at the University of California, San Diego. And so she ends up going there for graduate school and gets her master's. And she gets her PhD from Humboldt University in Berlin. I was like, she went to Humboldt? And I was like, no, bitch. <laughs> like, not that humble. For those of you who don't know, like, I don't know if people know this outside of California, Humboldt University is like the stoner university in California. Like, I'm positive that they even have majors for uh, marijuana agriculture or something. They have. I'm sure they do. They have to. Yeah. Although San Francisco State had plenty of weed. I mean, probably all every college in, in California is just full of weed. But I swear, like, Humboldt was, like, growing pot on campus. Uh, probably. I had actually applied there, got in, never went. Almost decided to go, and then last minute decided to go to SF State instead. So, but, all right. So, in 1969, after she's completed all of her schooling, she becomes a professor at UCLA. And this is where shit starts to get real. So, I mean, it was already real. But this is where she becomes a super public figure. So... She's very well known. Angela Davis is obviously very intelligent. She's very articulate and she's very beautiful. So she really becomes this figurehead of the feminist movement of she's not I wouldn't say she was a figurehead of the Black Panthers, but she had ties to the Black Panthers. She was a figurehead for the communist movement. She was very, very well known, like even to the everyday American people knew who Angela Davis was. You didn't have to be an activist to know who she was in the 60s and 70s. And Ronald Reagan, who at that point was the governor of California, gets her fired from her post at UCLA because of her ties to the Communist Party, because okay. she's a because that makes her a terrorist. A judge ultimately ruled that that was not legal, that you couldn't fire a professor for their political leanings. And so she resumes her post, but they fire her again for, quote, inflammatory language in some of her public speeches, specifically multiple references to cops as, quote, pigs. So wow. they shut her shit down real motherfucking quick. And this is where I knew Angela Davis had been in prison. But to be honest with you guys, I have to admit, I really didn't know that much about her story. And this shit fucking blew my mind. For, and I'm going to like go crazy on the mic. So in August 1970, a young man, I think he's 17 years old. His name is Jonathan Jackson. He's a high school student, a black high school student. He walks into a courtroom in Marin County, heavily armed and takes control of the courtroom. So he there's two defendants on trial. One of them is his older brother. He arms the defendants, both of whom are black men. He arms them. He takes five hostages. They get in a getaway car. The police shoot the shit out of the getaway car. Um, the judge ends up getting killed because he's in the getaway car. And the, um, the two black defendants get killed. And so does Jonathan Jackson, the 17-year-old who hijacked the courtroom, essentially. The weapons that were used in that 
event were registered to Angela Davis. And it what turns out, right, and it turns out that the one of the defendants, George Lester Jackson, was a man that she had, like he was already incarcerated and she basically had like a letter romance going on with him. Even though he was in prison, they were writing like very romantic letters back and forth. And I'm gonna get to that in a second because I read some of them and they were deep as shit. So basically, because she has these, even though she wasn't there, she has these ties to the crime. And so she, they charged her with aggravated kidnapping and first degree murder, which like, I'm sorry, is a big fucking charge when you weren't even fucking there where the murder happened. And like, it seems to be that it's very, I mean, nobody really knows because it looks like he got shot. The judge was shot both by the um the the defendants in the van and also by the police like he had multiple gunshot wounds from multiple guns so nobody really knows which shot killed him but it's very possible that the police shots are what killed him but somehow she ends up getting charged with first degree murder even though she wasn't there and even though we're not sure who actually murdered the judge first degree yeah that is like the high that's the highest that you can fucking get meanwhile if you listen to any true crime podcast you know that motherfuckers were like murder their wives on camera and get like two years manslaughter so yeah they were they were really not about the black power in the fucking 70s and i so i wanted to point this out because i was reading most of this shit on wikipedia and i was like Okay, but I want to know, like, what is the deal with this guy, with George Lester Jackson, and said she was in love with him. The way that they wrote it on Wikipedia made it sound, there was, like, two defendants. He came in and gave guns to two defendants. Jonathan Jackson did. And I was like, okay, but what was it about? George Lester Jackson was sentenced to 10 years for gasoline theft, for stealing gas. He was sentenced to 10 years in prison eight years of which he spent in solitary confinement and then it was later found that he was wrongfully accused and sentenced was like no one in jail at this time that they had to like be doing some insane sentencing partially that also like don't be black in america if you don't want to be in jail like that's just what the fuck they were doing and are still doing which like we'll get to later but that was that they really did that you could lock up you could lock a black man up for anything and you still can and it's bullshit and i'm mad about it so she basically like she goes on the lamb she goes on the run um so for three months she evades the authorities she leaves california she hides out in her friends houses she moves only by the moonlight she's only moving during night and then eventually in october oh and also she's added to the fbi's most wanted list during this time and she is the third woman in history to ever be on that list. I didn't look up the other two, but I might for future episodes. And she's finally captured in October 1970, so three months later, in a motor lodge in New York. And when she's caught at the then president, Richard Fuckwad Nixon, in so many words, congratulates the FBI. I didn't write down the direct quote, but it was like for capturing the terrorist Angela Davis. Like, what a fucking terrorist, blah, blah, blah. Like, they were just smearing the shit out of her. But the upside, if there is an upside, is that Angela Davis was really well known. And this was the time, 1970s, people are becoming, especially with Nixon in office, people are becoming very disillusioned with power structures in the United States. And even though there are plenty of Americans who hate Angela Davis, 
There are a ton of people who are totally in support of her, who are trying to get her acquitted, who are trying to get her out of jail. A bunch of different rock stars and public figures come out in support of her during this time. The Rolling Stones wrote a song that they dedicated to her during this time. And our original Mosa and her fuckboy, John Lennon, so Yoko Ono and John Lennon, wrote a song called Angela about her during this time while she was in prison. So she had an outpouring of public support. She's finally able... um, so she's she's incarcerated for a total of 16 months, some of which she spends in solitary confinement, but her legal team manages to get her back into like the public, I forget what it's called, general population. She goes to trial in January of 71. Uh, did I get that right? Maybe 72. Sorry, guys, I suck. And uh, she ends up getting released on bail because she has so much support. They posted her bail at 100000 which is a lot of money anyway, but that's a lot of money in the 70s. And she gets immediately bailed out because there are so many people in support of her. And in June 1972, after 13 hours of deliberation, an all-white jury returns with a verdict of not guilty. So she gets off on all supposed crimes. So I'm like, I want to talk about a couple things. So you, like, I read some of the letters that she had back and forth with Jackson, the, the one that she was in love with, the older brother. And it is like, I really try to put my, like, imagine being, imagine being her. Like, imagine having this love affair, even if it's only by letters. I don't even think they ever got to physically connect that that you have like and their letters are like really deep and really beautiful and this dude is already wrongfully imprisoned and put in solitary confinement which the un has basically deemed as a form of torture and he gets like one second of freedom and then gets fucking murdered by the police and then you are charged with first degree murder and you have to go into hiding for three months like i can't like not only are you dealing with like the heartbreak of losing this person that you loved so fucking unjustly and so violently you're now somehow being charged in the crime that killed him like (laughs) like and I think I have relationship problems. Like, that is just, I, fuck, dude. Like, I, I don't know. That just real. I was like, fuck, that is so heavy. That's just so heavy. You know what I mean? Can you imagine just being no. in that position as a woman? Well, like, I would just be devastated. Could, and there's nothing you could do to change it. It's like, here's the situation. You're at fault. Like, and she can't convince anybody otherwise. Right. And, like, I'm going to say it, and y'all can get mad. Like, even if she had a hand in that, whatever, bro. He was falsely imprisoned for stealing gas. Do you know how many times I've shoplifted in my life? Like, oh, God. You know? Like, or all the... God only knows what else, what other laws I've broken in this lifetime. But that you can get, get 10 years for that. I mean, come on, guys. So, yeah, I didn't know the details of that entire thing, and that just fucking blew me away. Yeah, that's that's bad. So the reason specifically that I wanted to talk about Angela Davis is because of all of her work and outspoken advocacy against what she calls the prison industrial complex. So as a black woman who grew up in the South and also as a woman who was um, not only incarcerated, but had several peers and loved ones who were incarcerated and or killed by the U.S. government, uh, she She's known for a lot of different activism, but this is one that I wanted to bring up because of the event that I'm I'm working on. So I'm going to talk a little bit about that event 
quickly. No, you know what? Cut that. I'm going to talk about her work in the prison industrial complex. So what she means by that is the fact that for those of you who don't know, the the prison prisons are a private enterprise in the United States. So there are state funded prisons, but there are also private prisons, which means that they're a money making enterprise. There is money in prisons. People are getting paid because people are in jail, which means what? That there is an incentive to keep people incarcerated because it's a whole economic engine. And so she speaks out about that a lot. Um, She's spoken out a lot against solitary confinement. And I just wanted to throw out some stats for y'all. A 2014-2015 study from Yale University estimated that about 80,000 prisoners of the 2 million or so that are in prison in the United States are in solitary confinement. If you don't know what this means, you're basically locked in a closet. You have no contact with anyone else in the prison except the guards that move you around and that bring you your food. And that is it. And some people are in that for years. As I mentioned before, Jackson was in there for eight years. Imagine living your entire life 24-7 in one fucking closet. No windows, no contact with anybody. It is complete, like, I don't, like, it doesn't even matter, criminal or not, like, that is such inhumane treatment. Um, 20%, wait, 26%, 29%, my writing's bad, of those who are in solitary confinement are in there for one to three months. 23% are in there for longer than a year. And then there are people who are in there for years and years. And in 2014, the the United Nations Committee on Torture deemed the U.S.'s use of solitary confinement as, quote, excessive and called for massive reforms in the U.S. criminal justice system because of our excessive use of solitary confinement. Also, she has pointed out something that I never really thought about until I was researching her, that the prison system is a psychiatric facility. So basically, all of these people who really probably need mental health help are just being imprisoned instead. And I actually was talking to a New Orleans police officer a few months ago, and he told me, he was like, it pisses me off. Anytime someone's having a mental break, like we get called. And that's not appropriate. We're not doctors. We're not psychiatrists. But people don't know who to call, and they call the cops. There's not like an 800 line for help. There's a psychiatric emergency. Yeah. So she noted in this interview I was listening to from Democracy Now! in 2014, she says that the largest psychiatric facilities in the U.S. in terms of patient load are Rikers Island, which was an all-women's prison in New York, and Cook County, the, the big prison in Chicago. And then the last thing that I'll touch on about her work in this area, she is actually, she is what she calls a prison abolitionist. So she is actually called for the complete dismantling of the prison system, as in like no one gets locked up, no prisons whatsoever, which is obviously like a very radical viewpoint. But her her points are basically, in a nutshell, A, locking people up hasn't created a safer society. We know that statistically. That hasn't fucking done shit. So even if it makes you feel safe and secure that people are locked up, you're not. Um, The 1980s giant crackdown on crime under Ronald Reagan didn't decrease crime rates and didn't decrease incarceration rates. And minorities are obviously disproportionately incarcerated in this country. 
And also something that a lot of people I don't think know is that it's different on state, excuse me, it's different state to state. But if you are convicted of a felony, you can't vote like ever. So you are basically, yes. And it's different state to state. Yeah. Convicts can't vote. So you like you are your your rights as a citizen are completely taken away. And in some areas, that's even after you've been released from prison, you still can't vote. So like as somebody, you know, anytime an initiative is on the ballot that is about prison reform, the very people who are most affected by it can't fucking vote on it. Twisted as shit. Uh, the reason I wanted to, to cover her and specifically, there's so much she's done guys. This is such a fucking broad overview of her life's work, but I, in October, so in the middle of October, I'm participating in a fundraising bike ride called Nola to Angola. And I just quickly wanted to talk about what that is. So Angola is a prison here in the state of Louisiana where, so the United States is often, is always cited as the most incarcerated country in the world, which means that relative to the general population, we have more prisoners locked up than any other country in the world. Up until last year, Louisiana was the most incarcerated state in the United States. We are now at 49. We are second to Oklahoma of all places, but still one of the most incarcerated states in the most incarcerated countries on the planet. So Angola is a prison that is 170 miles away from New Orleans. It is a former slave plantation that was literally named after the country of origin of the majority of the slaves who worked there. So, excuse me, who worked there, who were like worked to death there. Um, So it went from being one hell on earth for black people to another hell on earth for black people as a state penitentiary. Yeah. And the bike ride is, again, I said it's 170 miles. So the way it's broken down is that we ride 70 miles day one, 70 miles day two, 30 miles day three. And the reason that we do this bike ride is to show how far it is from any big city center. Because if you have a loved one who, if you're from New Orleans and you have a loved one who is locked up in Angola, think about how fucking hard it would be to go visit them. It's like a two plus hour drive one way to go see them. You probably don't have a lot of money. This is a very poor state. So this particular fundraiser is for a organization called Cornerstone Cornerstone Builders Bus Project. 100% of the funds that are raised in this fundraiser go to this program. It provides free bus rides to loved ones of incarcerated prisoners to Angola and to other state penitentiaries around around the state of Louisiana. So that's it. Again, it can take up to two hours each way. So four hours round trip so that these people can see their loved ones. For most people, this is the only way they ever get to see the people in prison. I also wanted to note a couple of stats here, a 2000 or a couple of points. A 2008 report in the Journal of Research in Crime and Delinquency found that visitation reduces delay, reduces and delays recidivism, which means that um, if you're a recidivist, it means you got released from prison and you go back. So it prevents, it helps delay or reduce people from going back to prison. And similarly, a 2012 study by the Vera Institute found that incarcerated men and women who maintain contact with supportive family members are more likely to succeed after release. So like not being reincarcerated, getting jobs, keeping their shit together. So it's really important that um, 
not just for the people who love the people in prison, but for prisoners in terms of their ability to commit more crimes or or they're just outcomes in general, it's really beneficial for them to have people visit them. So I'm bringing this up. I'm going to post a link in this episode. I'm also going to post it on Instagram for my fundraising page. Again, 100% of everything you donate will go directly to this organization. My fat ass might die on this bike ride, but know that it was for a good cause. Oh my God. I can't. I literally, I just praised myself yesterday for doing a very casual beach cruiser bike ride along the bike path, which totaled six miles in round trip. Girl, I... You're going how many miles? Uh, it's 170 over three That's days. That's fucking nuts, dude. I'm I'm a little scared. <laughs> I'm not going to lie. I'm like, we'll see like, how it Like, is goes. everybody a professional cyclist that's well, doing it's this? Well, not, it's not like a race, right? It's a ride. So something the average speed is something like 11 miles an hour, which isn't fast. It's pretty casual. My, I'm just scared of do like 30, like this weekend I did like 25 miles and that's like not a big deal. So the last day I got, I think I can do the first day and feel like shit. But the second day where I have to ride 70 miles again, like that is what I'm nervous about. Like nonstop? We'll, I mean, like we'll stop, we'll take breaks, we'll eat. But yeah, it's basically it's basically like a full day of riding. Two days back to back and then a half day. Yeah. That is insane. Right. So, uh... Yeah, so I just wanted to, like, A, plug that fundraiser, B, talk about incarceration in this country because it's totally messed up. And also, you know, I think a lot of us, we're becoming more aware of it now, thank God. But I think a lot of us, we don't ever think about the conditions of prisoners because we just label somebody as criminal and then we don't give a shit. But you have to understand, like, most people in prison aren't killers, They're not rapists. I mean, certainly those people are in prison as well. But as I said, like this dude that Angela Davis was connected with got 10 years for stealing gasoline. Like, I, there's no also, way you can think that's like, ethical. Also, like, props to him, because could you imagine how great life would be if you could steal gasoline? Like, that shit is fucking <laughs> expensive, dude. I looked up how to do it when I was 20 years old and how really poor. How do you do it? Uh, I don't, should I, am, I, am I allowed to say it? I don't know. There's a way you there's a way you you can use physics and a and a pipe basically. And Got that's it. all I'm gonna okay. say. I'm not okay. trying to like get arrested. Yeah. I didn't do it. I never did it. I couldn't bring myself to do it. Um, I'm also but yeah, just if you impressed have, like, that you researched it. I mean, I was a bit of a criminal back in the day. If you <laughs> ever have an ex that you want to get back at, there are ways to steal that motherfucker's gasoline. So just keep that in mind. Oh, so he was taking gas out of other people's vehicles. I don't actually, I don't actually know. I assume that's what it was. I don't know. Okay. Got that's it. my assumption is he was just stealing it out of cars. But I don't know. Smart. Yeah. I wouldn't call that a crime. <laughs> But yeah, so that's my point is like so many people who are in prison, it's just like bullshit offenses. And so, you know, like have a little compassion for these people and their loved ones, you know, for everybody who's in prison, there's people who are affected by that. You know, there are kids who are growing up without fathers or mothers or uncles or whatever. And so um, anyway, I wanted to talk about Angela for that very reason. And again, the ride here is called NOLA to Angola. And the, um, the organization is the Cornerstone Builders Bus Project. Uh, so check out the link in the, in the description. We'll post it on the Instagram. And any way you can give would be much appreciated. You may, 
this podcast may end in October because I might not survive that fucking Oh, gosh. <laughs> right? Oh, gosh. But, um, just to wrap up, Angela, these days she's still around. She's still very outspoken. You know, in the last few years, a lot of publicity has arisen from the, the basically black men being murdered by police officers in America, oftentimes on camera, oftentimes in view of the public. So she's been really involved in those conversations. She retired. Oh, I forget what year. I think it was 2015-ish. In the last few years, she retired as Professor Emeritus at UC Santa Cruz's uh, History of Consciousness Department. Oh, wow. Which, of course, UC Santa Cruz has a History of Consciousness Department, which I'm not going to lie. After we graduated, I did look at their PhD program and thought about it. (laughs) (laughs) Particularly because at that time, Angela Davis was still the the head of the department. And I was like, fuck yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so that's Angela Davis. That's just a little bit of her life. There's so much more to be said about her. Uh, Again, she's very controversial for a lot of reasons. Very communist, which a lot of people didn't like and still don't. And and prison abolitionist is not the most popular title. Also, I almost forgot about this while I was researching her. When I was living in Oakland, I helped organize, very loosely helped organize a talk between her and... um, John Kabat-Zinn, I think is his name. He's an MIT professor. And they basically had this dialogue about a bunch of random stuff. And I was sitting like two rows back from the stage and her and I made eye contact at one point and my entire life was given to me anew. Wow. She looked right, she looked like right at me and like talked at me for a couple seconds. And I was like, we had a connection. We had a connection. Angela Davis and I had a connection, but she lives in Oakland. Yeah. She lives in Oakland. So yeah, she was a fixture of that, that old community of mine that I loved. So that is Angela Davis and she's a bad bitch and still is. God bless her. Woo! Um, I have no clue how to guess her zodiac sign. I mean, I have to just say Capricorn. <laughs> I knew you were going to say that just because we want more Capricorns. You're going to be so pissed. I'm going to be pissed? Not, I mean, like, not pissed, but you're going to laugh. Uh, Aquarius? Yeah. Well, once you said she went to the School of Consciousness, I was like, uh, well, and also just hilarious trying to create a new world and a philosopher, which is like Aquarian as fuck. Yeah. Her birthday is January 26th. So like close. We almost made Capricorn, but not quite. Yeah. And that is Angela Davis. And she and you can find her in your potentially new copy of Women Throughout History by Anne Shen when you enter our contest. Woo! Go Anne Shen. Ugh. All right. Well, I'm fucking stoked to have gotten that whole history lesson. I know I knew of Angela Davis, but I didn't know all of that all of those details. So Right. I that's awesome. Yeah. God bless her. God bless her. And I'm it's so interesting to know that she's part of the Aquarius gang. Girl, they're, I mean, for all the shit that people think we talk about Aquarians, they're out here changing the world. (laughs) And we cover all of them. (laughs) Unlike Libras. Um. (laughs) Oh, gosh. (laughs) All right. Well, am I up? You're up. Okay. So I have to start off by saying mine's going to be short today. Okay. Partly because uh, this woman I'm covering, um, you know, was back in the olden days 
and she's from a different country and so a lot of the content that I tried to research of her was in a different language and um there is not a lot of content about her life on the internet. I feel like I'd need to go to a fucking library and, like, pull up one of those catalogs and search by last name and get some dusty-ass book from whatever aisle to get the full deets, and obviously I didn't do that. So <laughs> <laughs> my mind's going to be pretty short today, but nonetheless, it's it's full of really great information, and I'm super stoked to have learned about her. She's somebody I'd never heard of before. And I was in such a panic because I like could not get anything together this week. So I resorted to the book and um, found her in there and was like, holy shit, this lady's crazy. I'm going to cover her. So I'm going through before you say her name. I'm going through like every single woman in that book trying to figure out who it is. And I'm so excited. So uh, today we're covering Amalia Erickson who is a Swedish businesswoman that invented the candy cane, which was originally called polka gris, and at the time it was described as a peppermint rock. Yes! I don't remember her. Lay it on me. It's so funny because the illustration in the book clearly is a picture of her during her, like, youth, where when, like, I googled a picture of her... Like, on the internet, it gave me, like, the oldest woman on earth. And I was just, like, <laughs> laughing so hard. But I just, um, like, I like how you're going international with your last two women. Right? I know. Yeah. I like it. Um, so, yeah. So, her name is Amalia Erickson. And she was born in 1824 in Jolt. I believe it's pronounced, which I'm obviously going to be wrong, Jönköping, Sweden. Her mother worked as a maid, and her dad was a craftsman who trimmed and shoed horses' hooves. When Amalia was 10 years old, the infectious disease cholera hit their small town of Sweden, and a terrible tragedy occurred. Amalia lost both of her parents and her five siblings in the epidemic. Holy shit, she was the sole survivor of her family? I believe so. Holy Another thing shit. I need to know, uh, there was, inf- the details of her life kind of varied depending on what where I was reading it from. Word. Uh, one article said she only lost one of her parents. So I'm not, I'm again, I'm not 100%, mainly because there's just not a lot of information about her online. And I think that's because she came from a really small town in Sweden and... To be honest, the Polkagris candy was more famed than Amalia. Word. Okay. So, after that tragedy happened, Amalia decided to follow her mother's footsteps and she worked as a maid in their small town in Sweden. Three years later, her employee or her employer decided to move to Grana, Sweden, and Amalia tagged along. In Grana, which, again, I'm saying that wrong, but that's how it reads on paper. Amalia meets and falls in love with a tailor named Anders Eriksson. In 1857, they get married, and a year later, Amalia gives birth to two twins. Sadly, one of them is born dead. So Amalia is sort of, like, having to struggle with grieving the loss of one of her babies while also, you know, celebrating and finding happiness in the survival of the other. 
But that happiness does not last very long. As a week after the birth of her twins, her husband Anders dies from dysentery, which is an uh, an inflammatory disease of the intestine. Bro, the 1800s were not fun. They were not the jam. Fuck. So once again, Amalia is all alone and she now has to not only take care of herself, but a newborn child. And she has no family and she has no husband and no money and basically nothing. So her life obviously had not been easy. And it was told that she often spoke about her life story through the words, quote, no one is more alone than me. So sad. So one day, her baby Ida, which was the name of the daughter that survived, um, got sick and Amalia couldn't afford proper medicine. So she decided to whip up her own. She combined peppermint oil, vinegar, and sugar with the hopes that the concoction would cure the child's sickness. Though it was not actually medicinal, her creation tasted so good that her daughter just, like, ate that shit up. (laughs) She loved it so much that it gave Amalia, who at this time was 35 years old, the idea that she wanted to use her new delicious invention to support herself and her family. So she got the idea to start her own, like, peppermint candy business in a time where it was virtually impossible for women to be business owners in Sweden. And so she basically like went into the town and started her own campaign and petition and went to the town council or sorry, council to open her own bakery and sweet shop. And I'm guessing that due to, like, the circumstances that Amalia was having to deal with at that time, they were like, yeah, like, you can you can have your own like, shop. <laughs> like, <Get> it, girl. <laughs> just like, yeah, like, you've been through enough. Like, right. sure. So she they passed it, which is hysterical because, like, women were not allowed to be business owners in Sweden during this time period at the end. And so, like, I was thinking about this. Like, her option, like, once her husband died and she has no family, her, like, the option for women during that time period was basically, like, okay, we'll find a new husband then who can support you. Because women were not allowed to have their own businesses. And Amalia was like, fuck that. Like, I'm not going to find a man to support me. I want to start my own thing. And so she petitioned and it passed. So she started her own candy shop and she began making the candy that she referred to as polka gris which again i'm probably saying that wrong but the candy is made of sugar dough which is boiled kneaded on a marble baking table pulled and twisted by the hand to the right size the candies come in a variety of shapes sizes and colors but the red and white peppermint flavored sticks are the classic original though it may resemble the candy cane the dash of vinegar gives it a softer chewier texture than the classic holiday candy and according to the town lore which what the fuck is a town lore it's just like the the story of the town 
Okay, I didn't know if, like, lore was referencing, like, the town lore has determined that this is not accurate. Like, some fucking guy with, like, a stick or something. Dude, I want that job. (laughs) (laughs) Well, according to the town lore, the candy cane candy modeled their stripes after the polka grist design. So Sweden's claiming that polka grist came before candy cane. Um, but thanks to the candy, Amalia became a health or a wealthy woman. She like her business and her candy like blew up like fucking wildfire and everybody in Sweden ate that shit up. And, um, the town of Grana like became famous for this candy and her as well. She became noted as like one of the most important people to be in Grana and to have ever come from Grana. And in 1915, her bakery was even visited by, like, the crown prince Gustav Adolf and his wife. Like, they rolled through this little goat village and were like, we need to check out this candy, this candy shop. So Amalia carefully guarded her recipe, which remained a secret until after her death. She died on 1923 at 99 years old. Oh, shit! Yeah, 99 years old. She fucking fought through all those goddamn diseases and made it to 99. Eating sugar. Eating sugar, girl. (laughs) Her daughter, Ida, continued her mother's legacy and career path and baked polka grist until the year of 1945. It's still a popular treat in Grana today. Tourists that visit the quaint mountainside town can pop into like any shop out there and they'll find the candy featured today in 2018. Um... Even though the town only has 2,500 residents, it's a convenient location off one of the most traveled highways in Sweden, and it attracts over a million visitors per year. There's a statue of Amalia in one of its parks, and the town has even begun hosting an annual polka grist making world championship (gasps) to attract tourists who must complete, or sorry, who must compete to make a perfect candy that weighs exactly 50 grams. (laughs) Girl, she literally saved that town. That yeah. town was just some bullshit backwoods. <laughs> what? What is Swedish? I was gonna say clogs, but that's not Sweden. <laughs> like f- herring, people are just eating herring. And she was like, she put that place back on the map. God bless her. Well, so this is even the greatest part. The first store to make polka grist outside of Grana opened in the summer of 2011 in an old town of Stockholm. The next was in 2016, where it made its debut in the United States of America in the small town of Solvang, California. Where the fuck is that? That little dwarf village in like San Luis Obispo. What's it called? Solvang? You've never heard of Solvang? No. You need to Google that shit now. Why? What's the deal? There is this creepy little town like right outside oh, is of it like San Luis Obispo. Is it like the faux Dutch village? Yes. Like oh my God. So I've never been there, but I know of it. Okay, so yes, that is where the second Polka Grist shop opened up in fucking Solvang, California. Have you been there? No, but I've like, 
I've seen like anybody that like travels through San Luis Obispo or Santa Barbara usually always stops there. Right. But I've never really done that that route. And so I've right, never been. Yeah. But I, I've seen so many of my friends go there and they take pictures and like it's just like this weird little fucking like gnome village. <laughs> I swear it's like it doesn't even make sense it's like you'd imagine it being like in between a mountain in switzerland but like right. it's right off the coast of california the only thing i know about it is it has a windmill and that's all i know but it's supposed to be some like dutch ripoff yeah probably a lot of tulips it's very weird so How that's fun. where you can find polka grist here in california all right, guys. Um, and that is, uh, that's the full story of Amalia Erickson. And so she it's, never, like, remarried. She just, like, ran her business and was a no, boss bitch. she just ran her business and was a boss bitch. But I guess, like, the a couple of things that I, even though the story's super short, and I'm sure there's so much more to be told, but it just was never reported, and there isn't a ton of content on her or her life, a couple of the takeaways that really stood out for me were that, like, Number one, she went through, like, every bit of hardship you could ever imagine. Like, losing her entire family, kids, husband, the whole jam. She was a poor person. Like, she came from a poor family. Um, And really, like, being the fact that during this time period, women were not career or business women. They weren't making money. It was really, like, up to the man to, to provide. You know, she... Again, like I mentioned earlier, instead of doing what, you know, was the norm, okay, find a new husband, she was like, no, like, I'm going to do it myself, which goes totally against the grain of what was happening in that culture and society in that time. She did the opposite of what she was supposed to do, knowing that it would be the harder route to take. Like, she could have just booed up some other fool and had it been done and done, and instead she's out there petitioning in the streets to get her own fucking candy shop, which is, like, so feminist and so badass and so powerful, especially to have that type of confidence and strength after, like, the grieving that you've gone through, the loss, the tragedy, the being alone, having a newborn child that you're gonna have to, like, fucking, you know, try to make survive when all you've known is death, and she's like let me start a business. Right. You know, it's just insane. And then on top of that, like she created a product that everybody in Sweden loved. And it's like, obviously, you know, spilled out internationally where we kind of like ripped off Polga Grist to make our candy cane from. And now it's in little fucking Solvang town here in California. Um, But she used that product to like, turn her life around entirely she went from poor a total despair to like complete success over this little candy that she made one day when she was trying to invent a little medicine to make her daughter feel sick after a cold like it fucking turned her life around just one one small thing she did one day turned her entire life around and not only did it bring her success and fame but everybody loves it like it was loved all over like it wasn't just her idea that she thought was great like other people ate that shit up and now the whole town of grana is like polka grist town like that's what they're known for so i think that's fucking awesome and then just also the fact that she like resisted poverty in a society where men were super privileged and women were not and um she just i mean it's like we're talking about the 1800s and she's doing badass feminist shit that you know, is was so taboo during the time. 
And just, I'm, I mean, honestly, not to undermine all of what you said, damn those genetics. <laughs> she survived 99 years when literally everyone around her was dropping like flies. I know. I guess we I need know. to eat more poke grits. Yeah, we seriously do. Uh, so, now I want to eat. Now I want to try it. I wonder if I've ever had it. Well, we can t- make a trip to Solvang and go try it. Speaking of sponsorship, you guys. <laughs> <laughs> um, I so, love yeah, it. It was short and sweet, but it's a really cute story and it's uplifting and I love it. And you now you need to go back in the book and see, pull up, pull it up and look at the little illustration that they did of her. It's super cute. I love, I love, I love when we cover, I know, I think I said this last time, but I just love when we cover people that no one knows, because that's what the fuck it's about, you know? I know. I think it's super cool. And then, like, also, I've been really just liking internationally, like, women, you know, in other countries that you and I haven't heard of, or maybe other people from America haven't heard of. Maybe, like, we might have listeners in Sweden that are like, fuck yeah, Melissa, fuck (laughs) Like you covered Amalia, thank you. Like you know, you but never I think know. I think the Swedes would be more like, fuck yeah. I feel like they're more calm. Right? Oh yeah, yeah I feel for like sure. they'd be like, fuck yes. <laughs> <laughs> oh, right. So, yeah. We, well, we also need to. God, we need to cover someone from the Philippines. For I know. Philippines. I we know. Really, we really need work to do that. that. I love so, it. Yeah, Thank you for sharing her story. I love that we both, without planning it, chose women from the book that we're giving away because of this episode. I know. How <laughs> funny is that? So good. <sighs> See, so, yeah. these are the women that you can learn about with that book. It's just it's all kinds of cool women. All kinds of cool women. I, I mean, like, it's hard to guess. Do you know her sign? I do know her sign. Okay, it's hard to guess with, like, what I know. My first guess would be Scorpio. That is such a fantastic guess. But no. But no. Okay. But, like, kind of, yeah. Uh, like, like, okay, like, kind of how? Cuspy. She's Sagittarius. She's a Sag, but she's basically a Scorpio cusp because she was born November 25th, which is just like two or three days from the right. Scorpio deadline. Okay. okay. Good guess. I was like, I was going to be heartbroken if she was a Libra. <laughs> Why? How did you guess Scorpio? Just because Scorpios are survivors. Yeah. Like, I feel like Scorpios can survive some of the most tragic shit. And when they're not... whatever get over it I'm gonna say it when they're not busy crying about what they've been through they get busy actually surviving like they can victimize themselves like any water sign can but when push comes to shove a Scorpio will survive yeah like Scorpios will not die like they won't go (laughs) down without a fight no fuck no Scorpios like you'll think they're down for the count and they'll pop back up and they'll be like no (laughs) I just lived to 99 years old bitch So that's right. Why, that's why I thought Scorpio, Sagittarius. I mean, like it's hard to know with like what what we know, but any fire sign, a fire sign would have been my next guess, just because she's a fighter. Yeah. So. Yeah. What did so- like? What were your thoughts? Did you have any as you were? No, I, yeah. I, and that's been my problem is that sometimes I like that's the first thing I look at is where what when was she born, and so like I already. 
you know, you fuck up know. that game for myself. I mean, same. Yeah. But I don't know that I would have guessed Scorpio. But all of your points are 100% on point. Right. Right. Yeah. Oh, I, I love her. I know. She's great. She's super great. Is it great. still, do you know, you said her daughter then took over. Do you know if it's still in the family? Well, her daughter has since passed also because this happened right. like a million years ago. For so, sure. I don't know if the daughter had children or if it went down okay. and down after that. But I do know that after Amalia died, the recipe was revealed. So everybody's making it now. Like, right. it just was okay. up for grabs. So, like, all the who, candy shops know who re- it. Like, who revealed it? To her daughter? Or was it just, Probably like... her daughter. I, I, okay. I don't know who did, but no, there was no one else to do it. Yeah. So her, sure. she probably, like, oh, my mom passed, so, you know, to celebrate, you know, her legacy and what she, what she created, I think she probably shared the recipe with the world, and it's still being fucking popped out today. Word. Wild, right? Could you imagine being born in fucking 1824, no. making a candy that brought you from poverty to riches, and it's still in 2018 out there? That's so cool. That's also why I'm going to get sentimental. Like, that's why you have to take a chance on stuff. Like, we we so quickly talk ourselves out of our ideas. We're like, no, like, nobody's going to want this. Or like, we shouldn't do this. Or who's going to want to fucking blah, blah, blah. And then she goes down and just signs the petition and changes <laughs> and changes history and changes her life and changes the history of that town. And right you know who knows if she might have even made societal changes in sweden after having you know petitioned for this business license and have it blown up as a a success as a single widowed woman in a time where that was completely taboo who knows like how much influence she might have sparked among the other town's women or exactly entirely exactly like that's why i when you take a chance for yourself, you inspire other people to do it. So, yes. I love it. I love her. Well, guys, yeah. make sure you enter our contest so that you can get your hands on that book. It's it's a pretty good one. You're going to like at, it a lot. At some point, I think for both of us, that's a fa- Wait, so do you own the book too? Yeah, I own it. Okay, you bought like one for yourself. Uh-huh. Cool. cool. So that's like I feel like that is often our fallback. Oh, that yeah. is a good fallback. And then as of last week, I'm going to say the Google Doodle is also a good fallback. Google Do- she was on Google Doodle, too. Shut in two- up! In 2014. It, I saw it when I was trying to find anything I fucking could on this lady. She was on Google Doodle 2014. Nice. Yeah. Cool. Big so, ups yeah, to her. She's out there. I mean, I don't know how people... Like, because most of the info that I was finding was more about the candy and less about her. Right. But, I mean, damn, if Google Doodle handled it, then she's she's still out there. I know, that made me, that's, I was wondering, how did Ann Shen, we need, Ann Shen, we need to connect with her. <laughs> right? We need to reach out to her. I feel like we need a couple more listeners before she'll talk to us. <laughs> oh, but, yeah, for sure. But it's just a shoe in like how did she hear about her you know who knows right yeah yeah and literally like everything she's written about her in that book was like all you can find on the internet so it's like (laughs) like, two paragraphs yeah like there is no other content on amalia well amalia we salute you 
we salute you and your your can and you know what christmas this year when you pop one of those candy canes in your mouth pour one out for your girl amalia amalia drink some eggnog for your bitch okay Yes. Oh, bless it. Speaking uh. of which, did this is a little bit off topic, a little bit not, but when I was in Australia, in Sydney, I had in my 10-person hostel a guy from Finland. Mm-hmm. And did you know that Finland, like, legitimately homes, like, a billion actual reindeer? No. What do like, they do with them? They're, like, they're just, like, the animal of Finland. No. Like, reindeer are real, and they're all in Finland. <laughs> well, I knew they were real, but I didn't know that they were kicking it in Finland. Oh, yeah. They're kicking it in Finland. They must have, like, a reindeer hunting season in Finland, if there's that many. Maybe. I know uh, something that uh, I didn't realize, going back to that goddamn swamp tour that I've mentioned <laughs> now five times, but... alligators like overrun louisiana and so we have an open hunting season here so they don't like overtake the swamps that's interesting because in australia again the place is just infested with kangaroos and it's illegal to kill them i wonder why do you know why I don't know why, but again, another guy that from Germany that was in my 10-person hostel in Sydney had just come back from the west coast of Australia where he had been working on some type of farm. I can't remember if it was like a winery or something, but um, it was backwoods as fuck. And this is like (laughs) this little 19-year-old whose parents were like, go frolic for like 10 months by yourself in Australia see you when you get back and so he was like picking up odd jobs and one of them was working on this farm and I was like tell me everything would you do blah, blah, blah. and he's like it's kind of a sad story and I don't want you to judge me when I tell you and I'm like I'm like what like what do you mean and he's like I I didn't have a choice I had to and I'm like what are you talking about and he said he was on this farm on the west coast of Australia, backwards as fuck, hick as shit, and no one's out there but him and, like, the other farmer guys, and they legit, like, rifle up and, like, for entertainment purposes, light up the kangaroo, and then they, like, butcher them and toss the kangaroo legs out to the farm dogs, and the farm dogs just, like, gnaw on them like fucking, like, wild rabbit animals, Uh and he said he was basically, like... You know, like, you know how, like, frats, like, frat you in and make you fucked up shit? So he had to, like, to get in with the farm, he had to, like, fucking, like, (gasps) murder a bunch of kangaroo. Ew. Uh, I don't like him. And he he was, no, he... No, he was, was he, like, like, traumatized. Yes. Like, he Aww, was not baby. okay about it. <laughs> it was not Toxic okay masculinity, it. bro. It's ruining people. Yeah, Ugh. he was very not happy. And he didn't even want to talk about it. But then, like, he did. And I was like, I mean, what's he going to do? Like, he's, like, yeah. this little 19-year-old kid from Germany. They probably were, like, punking the fuck out of him. Like, just right. shoot, just shoot, you know? And they were backwards and scary. Like, who knows if they would have, like, beat him. For sure to death if he didn't like who the fuck knows dudes Aussies Aussies are crazy and kangaroos are fucking terrifying like I've watched videos of like kangaroo fights because I've seen like people they're like in the streets like roaming the streets people capture them sometimes yeah and it's like they're like think about how terrifying a kangaroo is it's like bigger than a man 
and yeah. it could literally kick your face in. I know. And they're <laughs> everywhere in Australia. And so I guess on the West Coast, on the farmland, they just kill the shit out of them, even though they're illegal. Yeah. Yeah. Or it's illegal. Right. Right. Yeah. But nice. I, again, like, that's, it, it's crazy that it is illegal being that they are, like, infested. Right. I know. Like, that if there's, like, a million people in Australia, there are 10 million kangaroos in Australia. I also had a friend of mine studied abroad in Australia in college, and she said that koalas are, like, rabid, crazy animals who are constantly inebriated. Like, apparently eucalyptus leaves don't just uh, nourish them. They get them fucked up. Well, like they, they also get all fu- have chlamydia. <laughs> what? Yeah. Like, koalas, like, have chlamydia. Why? What? I don't remember. Like, Who I'm going to probably... With? I'm going to probably, like, say why, and it's, like, not why. How, <laughs> wait, how do you know that, though? From being I in Australia? I have no idea how I know that. I've known it for years <laughs> that koalas have chlamydia. And one time at work, this guy dressed up as a koala, and I went up to him, and I'm like, where is your chlamydia of the eye? And he's like... <laughs> He's like, huh? It was his Halloween costume. I'm like, you're missing the chlamydia of the eye. And he's like, what the fuck are you talking about? And I'm like, koalas all have chlamydia. And he didn't know. Swear to God, Google it. They all have chlamydia. It's a problem. What a bunch of drunken whores. Yeah, apparently they're like, (laughs) apparently they are constantly like crazy inebriated and violent. And like, you on tequila. That's how koalas are 24-7 with their chlamydia. <laughs> oh, my oh God. what rancid creatures. Oh, my God. <laughs> if I never went to Australia, I'm not going to lie, especially since you told me how terrible the men are there, I probably wouldn't be, be sad about it. Would you go back? Um, I would go back. I wouldn't go back alone. And Word. I would probably not be in a city environment. I'd want to go yeah. back, like, into, like, the country and see a more rural side of Australia. Where you could shoot kangaroos. <laughs> <laughs> I never even saw a kangaroo when I was in Australia. How weird is that? That's because I, I was in the cities. You're in the city. I was, like, on the beach. <sighs> yeah. Oh, Lord. Well, if you're still listening, guys, uh, the the talking points are contest, and uh, I guess we should put that, should we put that in the description, too, just so people have it? Sure, why not? We can do, like, bonus contest uh, info or something. I'm going to add a link for the Bus Builders Project, and then, and then, yeah. I'm super excited about the giveaway. Me, too. Uh, now we let's can just find out if of, we actually have listeners. Right? Oh my god! You, we okay. We have a combined woman of the week this week. Whether we do. You, oh, <laughs> our fan. <laughs> yes. Okay, so basically, if you had listened to last episode, we kicked off the episode with some of our typical sarcastic jokes where we laughed about our lack of listeners while also celebrating the fact that we have a booming fan base in the Philippines, (laughs) along with several other international countries that have yet to be confirmed. But we jokingly did ask our Philippine listeners to reach out if they do exist. And guess what, motherfuckers? One of them reached out. 
and I was sitting on my Boothang's couch, beer in hand, watching some shit I didn't give a fuck about on the TV while I scrolled through my Instagram and a little notification came up and it read, oh my God, I am one of your listeners from the Philippines. And I screamed my fucking head off. And... <laughs> I immediately texted CJ and was like, holy shit, holy shit, holy shit. Look, look, look. It, it's real. It's happening. We have a listener. It's confirmed from the Philippines. The IG handles here. Like, holy shit, this is a real thing. So, I don't know. I'm like, should we call her out by name? So, her name, according to her profile, is Yaney, if I'm saying that right. So, I don't want to give out her username, though. I feel like that's rude. So, I'm just yeah. going to say her. Yaney, girl, if I'm saying your name right. We see you, girl. Thank you, girl. Number one. Like, number one fan. Also, thanks for fucking letting us know you exist. Right. Now like, we know that it's is real. so exciting. I know. It is so exciting to know that our content and our episodes are in the philippines and people are listening to them and actually in a timely manner to which they would immediately respond back after listening to the episode to be like yo it was the same day so that episode went live thursday morning and it was thursday night that i that notification came in so she had already listened to it you know what i just realized is our contest or giveaway contest open international i feel like it has to be now that we said all that bullshit (laughs) <laughs> yeah, it has to be. It's like, you guys will figure it out. It can't be that expensive. We'll no, split the We'll cost. figure it out. If you are international, you are eligible for a contest. You are. Especially um. if you're from Zanzibar. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, shout out to you. Thank you for listening. Thanks. Thank you for hopefully spreading the word. Thank you for letting us know you exist. And also, she mentioned that we were featured in trendy and popular on stitcher yeah which is for trendy and popular what insane if y'all motherfuckers would leave us reviews we could be that on itunes i don't know if stitcher does reviews we need to look into that yeah i don't know about that but leave us a review on itunes Yeah. yeah 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 for melissa's birthday Yes, for my birthday. Woo! Woo. Well, thanks, Yaney. Thanks for reaching out to us. I hope I'm saying your name right. And we see you. We appreciate you. We appreciate you, girl. Yes, we do. I'm so glad we can represent the United States. I always (laughs) dreamed. I always (laughs) dreamed this would happen. (laughs) Oh, God. Oh, God. Oh, man. All right. I feel like that's a wrap. Anything that's else wrap. we need to? All right. No. No, well, but we'll we'll see you in two weeks. Uh, okay, guys. Remember, you have until September 16th for the contest, and we will see you on the 20th. In the meantime, go twerk on a wall. Get some fried eggs in your life. And, uh, and listen to the podcast. <laughs> and listen to our podcast. Cool. All right. Bye, guys. All right. Over and out, motherfuckers.